Good morning, everyone. So today is the last day of 2023. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe. So uh, this morning, what I was thinking about is what is God calling you to do this year? And uh, if you were out on Wednesday evening, or if you were listening online, Brother Bob said something that resonated with me and sort of what my thoughts were for this morning. He, he said, I, I'm not really sure what my calling is, because there's not really one thing that I feel like I have to do that I find complete fulfillment in doing. And I, I agree with him on that. I feel like I'm in the same boat. I, I still feel like I, I'm not sure what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, and I like there, like I almost there's almost a part of me that I don't know if envy is the right word, but like I look at some people who like they seem to find out at a young age something that they're passionate about and they enjoy it and they do that thing and it just brings like joy to them in doing it and it's you know they use it for the Lord and it's you know amen to them and I just have never found that thing uh, just. So I was, you know, it's sort of this constant, like, well, like, what, where do I fit in? And, like, what does God want me to do for him? And sort of on, on that same line, I came across this quote from Napoleon. Uh, he said, there is no immortality, but the memory that is left in the minds of men. To have lived without glory, without leaving a trace of one's existence. Oh. Sorry, I forget. I'm so used to being at school where it's, I have this hooked up and I can just do it. But out, is this, we good with this? All right. So you're like, wait, where is this quote coming from? So I'll read it again. There is no immorality, er, er, not immortality. That's a totally different message. There is no Im immortality, but the memory that is left in the minds of men, to have lived without glory, without leaving a trace of one's existence is not to have lived at all. Now, like, obviously, from a biblical perspective, that's false, right? There obviously is immortality in Christ Jesus. Oh, well, we're all immortal, just wherever we spend eternity. But it's, the, it's sort of the essence of that quote that I think resonates with a lot of people. And again, maybe you're one of these people that this doesn't resonate with you, but I think it does resonate with a lot of people. And I say that because when you look at the like the the great stories of our age you know and I put some of them up there it's all sort of the same storyline right there's this person or people who are just going about living their day-to-day -day life and all of a sudden something happens that they're not even looking for and they're swept up into this great story where they end up being this main character and they end up like saving the universe or something like that right and and you know there's a happy ending and all is well, but like they're swept into this thing, and and I th I think upon reflection on this, like you know, like the Hobbit, Bilbo Baggins wasn't looking for adventure, right? And all of a sudden he opens his door one day, and adventure comes to him. Luke Skywalker is on Tatooine, dreaming of going to the stars someday. Next thing you know, he's blowing up the Death Star or whatever, right? The the uh, the Narnia, Narnia books, right? There, world wars going on, and they're at their so somebody like the, the professor's
place and they're playing hide and go seek. Next thing you know, they're kings and queens of Narnia. You're like, wait, how does this all happen? Or Peter Parker's bit by some radioactive spider, you know? He's the most popular superhero. He's just some regular guy. And I think that the reason why these stories are so popular because they resonate because there's a, a lot of people, again, maybe you're the exception, but it resonates with me because you're like, well, that would be cool, right? Like to be, and you want to feel like you're doing something of some import, right? That there's some importance to your life, that you're, you're playing some role in this grand story, this grand narrative that's taking place. And as I was reflecting on that, I was, I was listening to some messages, and I listened to this message from uh, Tony Evans. And uh, he said, he was talking about what is your calling. And he said that your calling is the customized life purpose God has ordained for you to accomplish in order to bring him the greatest glory, right? To bring him the greatest glory, not you. To bring him the greatest glory and the maximum expansion of his kingdom. So your calling is the customized life purpose God has ordained for you to accomplish in order to bring him the greatest glory and the maximum expansion of his kingdom. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, well, what does that look like in Scripture? And the first thing that came to my mind was, obviously, the Lord Jesus, right? Who, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, I have I glorified you on the earth, speaking to the Father, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. But he has accomplished the work that has been given to him. And you see, it is in the context of giving glory to God. right? He says, I glorified. He said, Father, glorify me together with yourself. And he's expanded the kingdom. He's let them know the words that the Father has given to them. And they believed on him. So I think, okay, that definition seems to fit. But then I was thinking, okay, how has this played out in history? In fact... I was thinking uh, that if you think about history, since I make my living teaching history, which again, it's not about me today, but I, when kids ask me, like, how did you end up being a history teacher, it's sort of, again, one of those, I don't really feel like it's my calling, per se, maybe it is, I don't know. I think I took three history classes in college, and one was art history, which is, I don't even know if that counts as a real history class, right? But I liked it, on the side, right? So... It all kind of works. But uh, there is this grand story going that it's sort of moving along, whether people see it or not. And we are part of this grand story. And so the, the, the kind of thing I want to focus on today is if we think about history as his story, as, as God's story, and this grand narrative of the redemption of fallen man, and we look at, I want to kind of do a survey view of the Bible, go through the Bible and look at some of these main characters that we see in this story and how they fit into, these, into this story and uh, then kind of apply it to us as we end this. So I wanted to start with Abraham. And so you think about Abraham. Abraham was not really 
anybody special. The Bible says that it wasn't because of anything that Abraham had done. And it says in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, uh, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is just like one of those movies, right? Abraham, Abraham at the time was just there. And God comes to him and says, Hey, you're the guy. I'm going to do all this through you. Not because you did anything to earn it. I just chose you. You're the God. And what's interesting, uh, I don't know if you've read, David Gooding has a devotional, and I've been kind of going through this this last year. Uh, and I, I got, like a week or two ago, to a page about Abram, or Abraham. And uh, I just wanted to quote a bit from this. He said, God did a unique thing when he called out Abraham, but he didn't leave the rest of the world lost and doomed to perish. In those days, the Gentile world, therefore the whole world, had slithered down the slippery slope into idolatry. They were fast going into the bondage and immorality that accompanies such an idolatrous interpretation of the universe. When God in his mercy raised up a protest and drew Abraham out of the Gentile world, he gave him a vision of the true God and set him and his descendants up as a witness. There was one place on earth, at least, where Gentiles might see the truth of the true God and be delivered from their bondage and superstitions. It was a glorious gospel message that God preached to mankind when he led Abraham out of that Gentile morass and showed him a sight of his own true glory as the living God, creator, and set up a relationship between himself and Abraham that should be a pattern for all men everywhere. He taught Abraham not only the truth of God, but how to be right with God, thus delivering him from the slaveries of religion, teaching Abraham and, and millions since that man is justified by faith without works. And I thought it was interesting. Now, if you read, Abram was actually living in uh, Haran when God calls him. Uh, with his, he was there with Terah, his father, and Lot, and so on. But if you look up Ur, this is the, a picture here from the ziggurat at Ur. This was, uh, interestingly, it was rebuilt uh, several times in history. One time it was rebuilt by uh, Nabuchodonosor, who were studying Daniel. So Nabuchodonosor was Belshazzar's dad, who was the co-region of Babylon. So he rebuilt this. And then it looks so nice today because Saddam Hussein rebuilt it in the 80s. So, but the, the, the ziggurat was, on top of the ziggurat was where the temples were, where they worshipped uh, their uh, false gods. And what's, what's very interesting to me, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The god that was worshipped, the, the principal god that was worshipped in Ur, so this is where Abram grew up in this uh, location, was called Nana, which was the Sumerian name for the moon god. Uh, and then there's some difference of opinion how this all worked out, whether it was a different god for the crescent moon or whatever. But the name of the god, sometimes it was called Nana, sometimes it was called Sin. You can't even make this stuff up, right? 
Sin was the name of the crescent moon god. This is this is Sin, the crescent moon god. What other what do you associate with when you see the crescent moon today? Islam. The god of sin. Like you can't I'm just saying, right? It's the narrative storyline. It's like you look this up and you're like, what? It's the same story, right? So, so a- the point is that, though, here's Abraham, Abram, not doing anything special. He's swept up into the story, but it's not his story. It's God's story, the story of redemption. Then we go to Joseph. We see a similar situation. If you look at uh, Genesis, I put all the scriptures up. You've got to keep doing this uh, here, so you don't have to keep sw- flipping through your Bible. But if you want to, it's Genesis 50. Verses 15 to 21, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, right, so uh, Israel or Jacob died, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. For they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are as your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for for am I in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We all know the story of Joseph. Again, when I, when, I'm, when I was thinking about all these things, I'm thinking about we know these stories because we know how it all works out. But you have to think about what was it like for Joseph in the middle of the story? When his brothers throw him in the pit, when he gets sold as a slave... When he, when he gets falsely accused and thrown in jail, you're like, what is happening? I'm sure that there was some point where Joseph was like, this is not how I pictured my life. <laughs> this is not the plan that I had. But then we see all these things working for a purpose in his story, in this larger gospel narrative, right? This plan of redemption. That if Joseph wouldn't have been put in the situation that he was, he wouldn't have been there to save his people. And so they all moved down to Egypt. And then we know what happens. They become enslaved. Right? And God told Abram this well before. So again, this was not a surprise. This was all part of the plan. But if you look at Exodus chapter 3, we see Moses. Now, uh, I'll read this and I have some comments about Moses but now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb the mountain of God the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire and yet the bush was not consumed and the Lord said I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given Heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Pezzarite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression 
with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now, you think about Moses, right? Like, Moses was from an ordinary house, and we know the story of his birth and putting him in the basket and floating down the river and all that stuff, and he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You say, wow, it's fantastic. He was, he was already chosen for great things. Uh, and if you read in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, uh, choosing rather, speaking of Moses, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with his people, with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater than the riches. Sorry, let me read that again. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You say, oh, okay, that looks great. But then it seems like he messed it all up, didn't it? Because he killed the Egyptian. And he flees from Egypt. And he's out in the wilderness. Again, we know how the story ends, so I don't think sometimes I, I'll speak for me, Sometimes I, I think like, well, you know, Moses ends up seeing God, you know, face to face like a man and all these great things happen to Moses. But imagine he's out in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years, you're out tending sheep. And at some point, it didn't, you know, it had to go in his mind like, man, I just blew it. You know, like clearly God saved me. I was raised as the son of Pharaoh. I chose to identify with the true God. And here I am. I'm married to Jethro's daughter, and I'm out here with the sheep. Like, you're not, it would probably, he didn't wake up that day, like, great things are going to happen today, you know? I'm going to, you know, and then all of a sudden, there's the burning bush, and we know the story from there. Uh, so, so they're taken out of the land, and then the next story I was thinking of is Ruth. So here's Ruth. It says in Ruth uh, chapter 1, it says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and certain, a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was uh, Elamet, and, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, Ephaphrates uh, of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Amalek, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives, and the name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Both Mahlon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And it goes on to say, And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And now I'm in verse 14. They wept again, and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, because remember, Naomi said, go. I don't have anything here for you. Go back to your people, to your land. But Ruth clung to her. And then she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. And then if you look at verse 
16 and 17 of Ruth chapter 4, it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the, the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. That tells you something, doesn't it? When was this written? It was written after David became the king. So, that means that all through Ruth's life, do you think Ruth was like, wow, I played a pivotal role in God's redemptive plan? No. She probably died and was like, wow, that was a great story, but, you know, I'm just some Moabitess who ended up being able to have this son and, you know, it worked out for Naomi's family and her God is my God and she just died and that was it. But she had no idea that her son would be the father of David who would end up being the one whom God would make a covenant with that his descendants will sit on the throne of Israel forever. And directly the, the, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, would be in his lineage. She had no idea about that. But we all know her name now, right? Again, his plan of redemption. So then we get to David. Think about David. I won't read this whole thing, but I think we all know the story. Samuel goes. God tells him he wants to, he's going to anoint a new king after Saul disobeyed. He goes to Jesse's uh, household, tells him to bring all his kids there. They bring the kids there. He looks at them. He's like, this has got to be the one. Nope. This has got to be the one. Nope. Do you have any other sons? Yep. There's one that's still out in the field. They bring the youngest one to him. He was the youngest son who's out there with the sheep. Like, if you think about what role did David play in his being anointed king? Nothing. He didn't, as far as we know, he didn't aspire to the, the, the kingship. He didn't, like, dream of doing great things. He was, and, and one of the things I want to point out as we go through here is all of these people were faithful. They were all faithful. They were humble. They were faithful. They just did what they were supposed to do. And God intervenes and uses them in his story. And so David is essentially plucked from the sheep. And again, we know he doesn't get to the throne until a long time after that. And there's a lot of things that happen in between. But nevertheless, David is one of those central figures in this whole history of God's redemptive plan for us. Then we come to Esther. Uh, think about Esther. Esther was an orphan who was being raised by her cousin. And so, again, if we think back to the book of Esther, uh, the, the king's wife disgraces him. He decides, he goes to his counselors. They say, you know what? We have to, we'll put her in her place. We're going to essentially remove her from her position. We're going to find a new queen. We're going to go out and get all the virgins in the kingdom and bring them to you. And Esther gets brought and she wins favor with the king and she ends up becoming the queen. And then we know the whole evil plan of Haman to kill all the Jews. And so Mordecai tells Esther what's happening. And it says in Esther chapter 4, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther because remember he's out in sackcloth and ashes and she tries to send new clothes to him and he says no. And so Mordecai says, don't imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. God was not going to let his people get wiped out. He, like, and the wisdom in Mordecai saying this, that God was going to preserve his people because he had made promises and God always fulfills his promises. He always keeps his promises. But perhaps, he says, you have been put here for such a time as this. You are a beautiful woman. You gained the attention of the king and his favor. Now you're the queen. Why? For now. For this time in this place in this purpose. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. Notice the three days. That obviously has some importance. And I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. Thus, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Remember the story, right? And if he didn't give the gold scepter to her, it was a death sentence. And so she goes in and she intervenes and she finds grace in the eyes of the king. Then we fast forward to Mary and Joseph. Again, some thoughts were shared this morning. And I was thinking along the same line. Like, we think about Mary now knowing the full story. But think about how overwhelming it would have been to be Mary. When all of a sudden, I mean, as great as it was, you're like, what? And Joseph, too. Because it was, it was a difficult situation that they're put in uh, on many fronts. But yet, we see how Mary reacts. She says... In Luke 1, 46-55, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slaves. See how she sees herself? It's this common theme, right? For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Let me think of the, the wisdom of what she just said for a young maiden that she sees this whole big picture how God is in control right he lifts people up he brings people down he exalts the humble he takes from the pride uh, he takes the, the proud from their from their positions uh, he says he fills the hundred good things he remembers his promises to Abraham and he's going to do this through her and then we see Paul we get to the New Testament we see Paul and again, we talked a bit about this on Wednesday night. Here's Paul, and uh, Paul was a Pharisee who was the son of a Pharisee. So he was, and he gives his whole lineage, right? He was like as Pharisee as you could be, right? <laughs> like of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the proper day and so on. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful 
putting me into service. We think of Paul's calling on the road to Damascus, right? Paul, again, was not looking to become the, the kind of central author of the New Testament documents. Like, that was not what Paul was like, someday I'm going to achieve great things, right? That, he was very zealous for God in what he thought was the right way. It says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy saying, <coughs> statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then the last thing I was thinking of in this whole kind of drive-through version of God's redemptive plan was when you get to Hebrews 11, and it says, And what, shall, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put armies to flight. That part of it were like, yes! They, those are the people who God raised up and used mightily. And then it says, women received back their dead by resurrection. Okay, that's still pretty good. And then you get to the rest of this. And others were tortured. Wait. Not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. You're like, wait. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treatment, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That doesn't seem to fit. But it says, men whom the world was not worthy. Men of whom the world was not worthy. And it says, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't get a happy ending of whatever situation they were in. It wasn't like, you know, they, they dropped the ring into the mountain lava, or, you know, saved Narnia, or whatever. Like, that. they blew, blew up the Death Star. Like, no. They just died. But they won because they obtained that eternal inheritance because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And, and what is that saying? It's saying we, those people were all before the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a much better situation than they ever were. Like we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have a clear conscience, which we talked about this morning. They, and Old Testament saints did not have what we have. Like, we can know that God sees me as righteous because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in light of all of that, we are part of his story. We're, we're already there. We're in this. Uh, and it says, this, this verse that we all have heard, and many of us know it by heart, Romans 8.28 and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. But this is what I want, I think, I, I never really thought about this. 
to those who are called according to his purpose. We're all called, but we're called according to his purpose. What's the purpose for which you were called? And again, I think it was Tony Evans I was listening to. He's like, purpose brings contentment. There's a like a restlessness sometimes if you don't realize like what you don't think about like what's the purpose like what what's the goal right what what am I trying to achieve here there there's a guy named Russell Cornwall he he told a story of an ancient Persian named Ali Hafed who owned a very large farm that had orchards and grain fields and gardens uh, he was a very wealthy and content man. Uh, and then one day he entertained a guest and the guest came and told him all about diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. And it says that Ali Hafid went to bed that night a poor man. Poor because he was discontented. So craving a mine of diamonds, he sold all that he had to search for the diamond, uh, to search for a diamond mine. He traveled the world over, finally becoming so poor, broken, and defeated that he committed suicide. And as has been said, Comparison is the thief of joy. He was rich until he found out about something that he didn't have, and then he wanted that thing, and then he became discontented and said he went to bed that night a poor man. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. When we think about this sort of where do we fit and what's my calling and what's my purpose and all these sorts of things, uh, when we look at Acts 17, Paul's up on uh, the hill in Athens. He says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Uh, I was talking with somebody the other day, and even I was just talking with Vince down in the break, and so, same sort of thing. Like when you look at uh, what's going on in the world today, and you see the trajectory of things, and you think about things from a moral standpoint and from a political standpoint, and you know, you can sit and talk about all these things, like you're going to solve all the world's problems, but in reality after you, you, you spend several hours, I was eating breakfast with a friend, and after about an hour of talking about all this stuff, you kind of get to the point where like, but what can you do about it? You can't really do anything about it. In the grand scheme of things, like, I'm not going to go down to Washington, D.C. and be like, you know what? Josh Klein's here. I, I know how to fix this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, finally. <laughs> we've, been, we've been working on this for years. Like, thank you. Like, No. They, they, they don't want to hear from anybody. They wouldn't, they wouldn't welcome me at all. And I was thinking about, like, well, have we seen this sort of thing before? And again, we're studying in Daniel. You look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was in sort of a similar circumstance, situation. What did Daniel do in Daniel chapter 9? He's reading the Bible. He reads in Jeremiah about how it's 70 years and what kind of God's going to do for people and how uh, the people of Israel and how he's going to bring them back to Israel. And so what's he do? He goes and prays and he advocates for the people of Israel. And he says, we have sinned. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And I was also thinking about going back to the story of Esther. 
I think when we look at where we fit, because it, it should sort of be exciting. Uh, you know, we're, we're studying Daniel, we're studying First and Second Thessalonians on Wednesday night, and uh, we've gone through Revelation not too recently, and I think if you look at what's happening in the world, like you see things moving in a way that you would expect if the Lord's return was close at hand, right? We don't know when he's coming. Maybe he'll come back this morning. Uh, but we certainly see a lot of things that are pointing in that direction. How exciting it should be for all of us and how humbling that at this point in history, he chose us to be the ones that are here. And we are his body. We're the ones who he's working through on this earth. Like, what an opportunity that we're here in, in a time like this. Do you think about what Esther said? Or what, uh, yeah, Esther said. She's like, uh, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. That we're here for such a time as this. And what's interesting about Esther, and going back to the fact that she had everybody fast for three days and three nights. Think about the Lord Jesus in the grave, three days, three nights. Jonah in the belly of the fish, three days, three nights. Essentially, she had already reckoned herself dead. Before she decided to go into the king, she, she knew the gravity of the situation. She knew what the consequences were. And she came to terms with that. And she said, I'm dead. I'm already dead. But I'm going to go in this. And maybe I'll obtain my life back. I'll get my life back if I do this. And in the same notion, it's like I have a, a, the top here. It's not about you, right? It's your call. We think about, like, where do I fit into God's plan? And what's the plan for my life? It's his plan. It's his story. So it's not about you, but he has, but he has made you special. And so, just like Esther, it says in, in uh, Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what will be, sorry, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And Peter goes on to say, and we think about like what God has done, we remember that this morning, that we are special. It says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Like, we, we're in, like, maybe we're not uh, Frodo or something on some, but we, but we kind of are. Right? Like we kind of are. We're in this story. And God has put us here. And we all have a role to play in this story. And he's made us special. He's made us a royal priesthood for him. And we are called, remember, to glorify, to maximize his glory, and to expand his kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. And if, and if we think about this, uh, I think I've shown this before. The guy on, on the right here, this guy's name is Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was born in Raleigh, Massachusetts in 1823 to Richard and Elizabeth Kimball. 
His parents wanted him to pursue religious studies, but illness at the time prevented Kimball from doing this. So he didn't go on to be a, a great preacher or anything. He would follow his father as a public school teacher and rally. Later, at age 23, Kimball moved to Boston. Eventually, he became head of Kimball, Felt, and Wentworth, a firm of carpet dealers. So this guy's a carpet dealer. But he was also a Sunday school teacher. And he, in his Sunday school class, won a shoe clerk to faith. And the shoe clerk's name was D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody became the great evangelist, traveled to England, and awakened the heart of a young pastor named F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer preached on, the college, on college campuses and was used to convert a student to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman, who worked with D.L. Moody, uh, employed a former baseball player as his assistant, whose name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday became a dynamic evangelist and preached in Charlotte, North Carolina. And his, Billy Sunday's Sunday Layman's Evangelistic Club, named, later renamed the Christian Business Men's Committee, later invited Mordecai Ham to Charlotte, and Mordecai Ham was preaching in a tent meeting in Charlotte where Billy Graham was saved. And I think there's somebody in our chapel who would be in this lineage of people who were saved. So think about it. Edward Kimball was a carpet dealer who taught Sunday school class. And I'm sure he, by the time Billy Graham was saved, I mean, was up in glory. Did, did Edward Kimball know the impact that he would have in the kingdom of God? Sort of like Ruth, right? Like Ruth didn't know. Edward Kimball didn't know. We don't know. I think someday we'll, we'll find out the impact that, I mean, he probably wasn't like, yes, I've done great things. But he did. Because he was faithful in doing his job in the role that God has in God's history, in his story. And the interesting thing is, like all these movies and all that sort of stuff, you know, we, we always look for a happy ending, but we already know what the ending is. And what's interesting, I thought this was clever, the end of his story is the beginning. That's just the beginning. That's like, this is the kind of introduction to eternity, when we'll be with him forever. And it says in Second Peter 3, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? You know, as we go into 2024, maybe this is the year that the Lord Jesus comes. Do we reckon ourselves dead? And I, again, this, I feel like this message is for me. I'm glad that you could share it, but like, it's a question myself, right? That's why I asked Harold to sing, have, have thine own way, Lord. Are we good with that? Am I good with that? That's, that's very difficult for me. I'll just tell you for me. It's hard because I want to do my things, and I have my own idea of how things should be done in my life. And like, Are we willing to die to ourselves and humble ourselves and do what he has for us because that's the best thing we could do because that will, will reverberate to his glory and maximize his kingdom which is really what we're called to do we're called to maximize his glory and his kingdom so since all of these things are going to be destroyed why would I spend my time worried about things in this world looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So, hopefully, as we go into 2024 and we think about we are here because we're the ones that God like I like to think of it like this God has confidence in us to put us here now to do the things that he has predestined for us to do we're here because we can do it through his power so to me the challenge is will I let the Lord have his own way Will I be the clay and let him be the potter? Right? I want to read the last line of that song. It says, Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Can we say that? Fill with thy spirit, till all shall see Christ only always living in me. I think that would be a good goal for 2024. Let's close in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for who you are, for your great grace and mercy and love and patience that you've demonstrated throughout history, throughout your story in the very act of creation through your whole plan of redemption calling out people to be part of this story that would culminate in the sending of your son to be lifted up on a cross that he may draw all men unto himself we pray that you would help us to uh, see our part in the story, where you've placed us, what you would have us to do this year in 2024, that we would humble ourselves and reckon ourselves dead to ourselves, but alive in Christ Jesus, that he may live in us and through us, and that no matter what we do, that we would do it for your glory and for your honor, and that you may be pleased uh, with how we do it, so that uh, perhaps even... Today, we would, when we see you, we will hear those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Again, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the food that's been prepared downstairs. Bless our time of fellowship today, and we look forward to your soon return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.